You're listening to the Highland Ministry Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Highland Baptist Church, please visit our website at hbcmolino.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Josh Hilton. each and every day that you try your best to follow him wherever he may lead. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and open up with us to, to Mark chapter 1. Uh, we've got a, a, a couple of passages that we're going to look at today. Uh, last week we uh, started this series, this Go series, uh, again, off the third leg of our mission statement, Gather, Grow, and Go. We're continuing looking at, at what Go looks like, and we talked about that uh, last week. And we're going to continue to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. And, and today I want us to look at this idea of called to go. Called to go. Um, I knew that this is where we were going to go uh, this week. And Al and I had already talked about it. And uh, I didn't know the, all the conversations that I would have uh, this week that would kind of shape uh, some of this message. But... Um, I talked to our, our group on Wednesday night here in, in our Bible study time about ministry needs in the church uh, that, are, that are going unmet. Uh, there's just not people, not as many people feeling called into ministry as there once was. Um, and, and oftentimes when you think of this idea of called to go, you think, hey, there's, there's people that are called to go uh, to the mission field. Uh, I had a conversation Wednesday morning uh, with a young man, I say young man, he's a little bit younger than, than I am, and, and him and his family are going. Uh, they're, they're from this area. Uh, they are going on mission to, uh, to Greece, and, and they're going to be doing some, some work there for the Lord. And uh, we talked about some of the numbers and stuff uh, that, that they had heard through the IMB. Uh, so we, we support them. They are our missionaries, as they, as they call it. But he said that there was... A number that they wanted to reach, uh, I want to say it was either four or five hundred uh, new missionaries at a certain point in time uh, that they wanted to put into the field. He said over the last couple of years, he said, we've actually gone in the wrong direction. He said, we've had a couple hundred that have had to leave the field. He said, so now the need is even greater. And he said, we're in a good place because there are people that are taking that call. But uh, he said, it's still one of those things financially that... Uh, to put seven, eight hundred people into the field is a great expense for the Southern Baptist Convention and for the International Mission Board. And so uh, they're looking to do that. But it got me to thinking about being called to go and how oftentimes we look and go, OK, the ones that are called to go are the ones that are serving in different places. They're the ones that are going, uh, that, that are getting equipped to go they're the ones who are uh, going to, to plant churches in, in other states. They're the ones that are doing the mission trips and, and they're taking that title of missionary. But something that God had challenged me with this week is that everybody that is in here this morning that proclaims a relationship with Christ is a missionary. Everyone that's in here 
Whether you've ever been on a mission trip or whether you've ever uh, claimed to, to, uh, to, to go as a missionary, that is our job because a missionary's job is just to, to go and tell. We talked last week. As we go, our job is to tell the story of Jesus. If you're a part of our uh, Connect Group Leader Banquet that we had on Friday night, there was uh, Lewis Miller came. Uh, he's from uh, the, the state convention. He came and talked about telling that story, telling God's story and telling our story. That's what makes us missionaries. And the beauty of what we're going to walk through today is hopefully by the end of the service today, you'll understand that if you have a relationship with God, you are called to go. It may not mean overseas. It may not mean to a different state. It may not even mean to a different city. But we are all called to go. One of the verses that uh, came to mind as I was thinking about this need uh, that we have, this, this great need that, uh, of those who feel called to go is Matthew 9, 37. And Jesus said this to his disciples, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The reality of it is that the local church says the same thing. Not just Highland, but all churches say the same thing. We've got a great need around our church, but we have few that are willing to meet that need. I'm not saying that that's you this morning. Uh, maybe you're praying about how God wants you to fill that need. Uh, maybe God's working that in your life. But I want you to understand this morning that we are all called to go. We're all called to be on mission for Him and so what exactly does that look like? Can we straighten out that misconception this morning that those that are called to go are not those that are just going in the foreign mission field, that are just going into the stateside mission field, just those that are in ministry and different things. No, that is Christians, that is believers who are called to go. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to find our, our first passage this morning. And, and really I've, just got, I've got two points that we're going to talk about uh, this morning, the first one is going to start here in Mark chapter 1. Uh, I, I chose Mark chapter 1 because this story is present in multiple Gospels. But hopefully, if you've been following along with our reading plan, you're familiar with this passage because you read that on uh, last Monday. So two weeks ago tomorrow, you would have read through uh, Mark uh, chapter 1. And you would be familiar with these verses here that, that Jesus gives us of how he called his disciples. And so uh, it's an interesting thing uh, when Jesus calls the disciples. It's intriguing to me because there's not a lot of words. We don't get a bunch of conversations. We don't get anything like that. It's just follow me. That's what they get. That is what their calling is. And so I want us to look and see what it, what it says there. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16, says this. As he was going along... By the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. The intriguing part of this is it goes right along with where God is leading us this year. Remember what I told you about outreach last week. I told you the definition of outreach is, is meeting people where they are with some type of service or some type of information. That's exactly what Jesus did here. He didn't wait for people to come to the church and say, hey, would you be interested in following me? He didn't wait for, uh, for the, the right time. He didn't wait for people to show up 
uh, at some event that he did. No, as he was going, as he was walking, uh, he came to the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon and Andrew. They were casting a net in the sea. Why? Because they were fishermen. So he saw them exactly where they were. He saw them doing exactly what they knew to do. In the midst of their work, he saw them and he said this in verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That's all the instructions that we have that are recorded. And if you look at the other uh, gospels and their accounts of this, that's what you're going to get is, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In some places, you just get those two words, follow me. That's all that he gave to Simon and Andrew. In the midst of where they were, in their vocation, he saw them at work and he told them, follow me. Continues on in verse 18, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. It doesn't say that they asked questions. It doesn't say, hey, we got we to finish this work day. Let us get clocked out first and then we're going to go. No, it says immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And look at verse 19 and 20. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. See, I, I read these two accounts, and, and I, I feel like I probably would have been in the boat with James and John more so than with Simon and Andrew, because uh, when I go fishing, I spend more time fixing stuff than I do actually fishing. So I probably would have been in their boat with their dad, Zebedee, there. I would have been fixing the nets, because I probably would have got it all tangled up and everything there. Uh, but Jesus just walked a little bit further there at the Sea of Galilee. Again, he's not waiting for people to show up at the church. He's not waiting for the people to come to the synagogue or the temple. He's not waiting for somebody to come and ask him a question about all of that. As he was going about his day, he ends up by the sea. And we know, again, it's Jesus. It, it was on purpose. He knew they were going to be there. He went with the intention. But when he saw them in the midst of their day... He called out to him. So he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. They were called to go with him. They were called to go with him. The first thing that I want you to understand about being called to go is being called to go starts with an invitation. It starts with an invitation. See, the interesting thing that we find is that that call here means simply to invite someone to something. In verse 20 where we says immediately he called them, he simply invited them to follow him. There was no special ceremony. There was no uh, great commissioning service. There was nothing like that. There was no uh, moments in, in all of this. Jesus simply extended an invitation to these men who were fishing and said, follow me. So what I need you to understand about being called to go is being called to go means uh, that, that it's going to start with an invitation. Your invitation may come in your workplace. Your invitation may have came at this altar. It may have came in the, the altar of the church that was previously known as Highland Baptist Church before this sanctuary was ever built. 
It may have been, that invitation may have been extended to you uh, a long time ago in some other state and in some other area. It, it may have been in, in the midst of serving in the military. It may have been in the midst of a revival. It may have been at some youth event or service. It could have been in a lot of places. But being called to go will always start with an invitation. And that invitation is simply to follow him. It's not going to be some grand scheme of, hey, here, here you go. Here's, here's my business plan. I'm going to lay it all out for you. And I'm going to give you all the details of what it is that I have. No, Jesus started with the invitation to follow him. We, we all realize, we, we know, the, those of you that may be familiar with the story of the disciples, not everything was perfect. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. Not everything was perfect. But I don't know that there's anybody in this room that's familiar with the disciples that would say, you know what, they weren't called to go. They weren't, they weren't set apart for something specific. Now, from what I understand, they never went to seminary. From what I understand, they don't have a Master's of Divinity or even an undergrad. Uh, they don't have a doctoral thesis statement that they wrote. They don't even have a whole lot of formal training besides being taught by the greatest teacher there was. That's their accolades. Is They walked with Jesus for some three years. But if you get past that, nobody questions their credentials. They started out as fishermen. They started out as ordinary people. Amen. Just normal folks. Trying to earn a wage. No doubt that they would take what they caught and go back to the markets and try and sell that. They'd keep some of it to feed their family. And then they'd go right back out the next day and do the same thing. That had been their life. That was their day to day. Until they got an invitation from Jesus. And then their day to day changed. Because he changed them. But I don't think there's anybody in the room this morning that knows anything about the disciples, even just a little bit, that would say they weren't called to go. No, they were called to go because Jesus called them saying, follow me. So being called to go simply starts with an invitation. It simply starts with the invitation to come and follow Jesus. The beauty of, of, of all of this in, in my mind was just blown, and God is, God is so good with, with all this. In, in that day and time, it was not unusual for people to be called to follow a rabbi. It wasn't unusual for a teacher to, to look at individuals who they felt qualified to look and say, Hey, I want you to learn under me. If we were to take that into our modern day translation, you're looking and going, Hey, you... Uh, I'll give you the opportunity as a professor to, to learn everything I know. I'm, you're going to come and you're going to do some work for me. Uh, if you're a grad student, uh, if you make that level in college, there, there are professors that you can go and do work for. You can work in their labs. You can do different things for them. And you get to learn under them while going to school and furthering your education. We try to do that in ministry. We try to raise up leaders who we feel are uh, equipped, or not yes, necessarily equipped, but called to do that. I had a conversation this week with one of my former students, and uh, his parents are actually the ones that are coming to do 
uh, our uh, marriage conference, so there's a plug for that real quick. Uh, but, but I had a, a conversation with their youngest son, and he had told me, he said, I want to know your calling to ministry. And I said, Ben, what you don't understand is that's a great question this week. And so I got to look back on my calling into ministry, my specific calling. And I told him, I said, for a long time I knew I was supposed to do something. I just didn't know what it was. In reality, for a long time I knew I was called to go. I just didn't know specifically where God wanted me to go. And he called me into ministry. We all have that opportunity to be called. But in that day and time, it was normal for a rabbi to take students under his wings, to, to take disciples and teach them. They would follow him throughout the day. They would learn. They would spend time with him. That was their job, was to learn from him. But the unusual part is where Jesus met his disciples. Because most of the time it was the ones that, that were in Sunday school. It was the ones in those small groups that, that knew the answers to the questions that you looked and go, hey, we may have said that about somebody. One day, you know, that, that, that kid right there, he's going to be a preacher. Man, that boy right there, you know, he's, he, he's got something special about him. He, he's he's going to be a preacher. Oh, you know what? They're, they're going to be a missionary. I've seen them serve, and they've got the, just the heart of a servant. I could see them going into the mission field. See, in that day and time, what I, I, I imagine it was like was the rabbis would take the best students and say, hey, won't you come learn under me? And they would grow them up to, to be able to do that themselves. And they would go and lead. They'd become teachers. And then they would take their own disciples. But most of that happened in the church. Most of that happened in the temples, in the synagogues where they were teaching each and every day. But Jesus said, I'm going to find mine somewhere else. He said, I'm going to go to a different place, and I'm going to find some people that will follow me. And so he went to the Sea of Galilee, and he found these two sets of brothers, and that was just the beginning. Uh, we know that he finds uh, eight more to follow him throughout his ministry that would be close to him. He went to an unusual place, to offer them the same invitation that he offers us. To simply follow him. Simply follow him. That's where it starts being called to go. And it, the, the, the really neat thing about it is as soon as you accept that invitation, you've accepted the call to go. You've accepted the call to be followers of him. Because that's all that it is. It's not some special thing that you've got to have. You don't have to have some special title. If you have a relationship with him, you are called to go. You're called to serve. You're called to follow. When the writers speak of following Jesus, they're talking about a calling. You see that, that name or that word thrown around a lot in Scripture. It's that, there's that, that idea of a calling. And, and I think that's where we miss it because we don't use that unless it's something special. We don't say somebody has a calling unless it's something that they're really, really gifted at. And if you're anything like me, most of you would look and go, you know what, I'm not gifted enough to have a specific calling. I've sat in those places where I looked and said, and I still do. There, there are times, I'll be honest with you, 
there are times I look and go, wow. How in the world did I get here? How in the world, God, did you look and say, yeah, I can use that one? I, and by on, being honest with you, that's not just a, I've had that thought once or twice since I've been here at Highland. I've had that thought multiple times already this year. And we're what, day, day 14 in January. And there have been multiple times that I've looked and said, God, really? You, you still, still want me to do this. Like, you're still saying, I'm, I'm good with using you, Josh. Blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind that God would say, hey, Josh, you are enough to do this role that I've called you to do. So I've sat in the same spots that you're in, and you're looking and going, I don't have enough stuff to be called to go. I don't have the intelligence. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the, the, the whatever it may take, whatever's in your mind that you think makes somebody special enough to have a calling to serve God. But guess what? All it takes is an invitation from Him. And when you accept that, guess what? You've got everything you need to fulfill the calling that He is placing on your life. It doesn't mean that you're going to be writing sermons and preaching everywhere. It doesn't mean that you're going to stand on stage and sing uh, with the groups up here. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have to prepare a lesson to teach each week. It doesn't mean that you're going to serve as a deacon. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you're going to serve in, uh, in some various honored role that you think that you have to be qualified to serve in. He may use you behind the scenes. He may put you on a kitchen committee to serve there because you can wash dishes. You can set out tables. You can wipe down a table. You can smile at somebody while you scoop out some mashed potatoes and put them on their plate. He may use you as a part of a prayer ministry because you may not be able to stand in front of people and talk, but you know how to talk to God because you spent a life doing that. He may use you to be a part of a building and properties team. Because you may not have skills to stand in front of people. You may not even be the best reader, but you can swing a hammer. You can paint something. You may know something about electricity. You keep me from getting shocked and killed. That'd be good. You may be comfortable climbing a ladder. And you're like, hey, I can get up on the roof and check something out. See, the thing is, we, we oftentimes look and go, those that are called to go, go are the ones that understand the Bible. They're the ones that know scripture. They're the ones that, that have the ability and the finances and the resources to go places. Uh, they can go overseas and, and they can teach and, and they, can, they can tell people about the gospel. No, God says, I, I've called you to go. I just want you to use what it is that I've given you for my glory. That's what he told these guys. He said, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you something different. Than what, it, than what you are right now. Using their same gifts. They already knew how to fish. They knew that you got to get something to take the bait. Before you can ever get them there. Even if you're casting a net. You got to get where the fish are. Before you ever throw that net. Or you can keep throwing in empty water. And you're not going to catch anything. They knew hey I got to find the right time. I got to find the right spot. I got to hit people at the right time of day. They had a skill set. 
that most of us would look and go, yeah, but that's not usable, useful for people. Jesus said, oh, but it is. So if you can catch a fish, you can catch a person. You know how to get them excited about what it is that you're offering. That's all fishing is. You put something on a hook, hoping, hoping something gets excited about it. And guess what? When you reel it back in and there ain't nothing on that hook, what are you going to do? You're going to throw it right back out, aren't you? You may even try, hey, I'll, I'm not going to throw it on that side of the boat today because we ain't catching anything over here. I'll try it over here for a little bit. Keep working at it. There's a persistence to fishing. It's the same thing, the same type of persistence we have to have to reach people. Jesus knew that. And so while the world would have said they're not qualified to do what it is that I want them to do, Jesus said they're perfect for what it is that I want them to do because guess what? They're just common, ordinary folk and they're going to meet people where they are. They're not walking in with their education. They're walking in with what they know and telling their story. And that's exactly what he wanted. But looking at that word calling that we so oftentimes misconceive that, that we're not called. Guess what we are? We are called to follow Christ. Jesus is asking us to come and to learn from him just as he did the disciples. We are called, church. This morning, if you have a relationship with him, you've already been called. If you don't have a relationship with him, today maybe he is calling you. Maybe that invitation is being extended your way because he's got something that he wants you to do. Paul reminds us of that calling in a few places. Second Timothy uh, chapter 1. The words will be on the screen if you uh, just want to check it out there. Second Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 says this. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And verse, verse 9 says this. Who has saved us. And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. I read you both those verses because Paul was looking and he, he was telling them there, uh, telling Timothy, he's like, hey, guess what? It, you, we Don't be ashamed of the testimony that you have that God has given you. I'm his prisoner. He said, but join me in the suffering for the gospel, because according to the power of God, he saved us, and he called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. He reminded Timothy that he had a calling. Why? Because he had saved him. Your reminder this morning, church, is that if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a calling. You have something that he wants you to do. It may not be a glamorous title. He may be using you at your workplace. He may give you influence. You may, you may have a supervisor role in, in, in the place that you work, and he may be using that to give you the opportunity to gain someone's ear so that they'll hear your story. You may just be a normal person at that office building that you go to or the warehouse or the plant or whatever it may be, but he's putting people around you and he's saying, hey, you know what? I gave you these talents to provide for yourself, but also to use for my glory. We get stuck in that rut of that Monday to Friday, that grind of going to work. 
and forgetting that God gave us that job for a reason. He gave us that place for a purpose to use for His glory. And, and Paul is reminding Timothy, you have a calling. The same calling is clear when Jesus talks to His disciples in John chapter 15, verse 16. And He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's that idea of that invitation. He's reminding them. He said, guys, I called you to follow me. I extended an invitation to you to follow me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. He extended the invitation to you. So this morning, please don't think that you don't have enough to be called. You just being a person is enough for you to be called. Because scripture tells us that, that he desires for all men to come to know him. And when we walk into that relationship, when we accept that invitation, that is when our calling starts. What we often forget is that Jesus doesn't just offer us a relationship. He calls us to follow him. And when we accept that invitation, that's when our calling starts. That's when it begins. But the reality of it is, it comes at a price. The disciples knew that. We could, we could overanalyze this calling and, and the, the lack of words that we have, but we see that they just immediately dropped what they had and they followed him. They dropped where they were. They dropped their nets. They stopped mending their nets. They got out of the boat and they followed Jesus. There's a whole lesson in all of that, but they knew that there'd be a cost to follow him. But they also knew that it would be worth it. They had peace that it would be worth it. Just like the disciples, if we accept this invitation, it will cost us something. It's going to cost you something. There will be change. There will be things that you have to let go of. That's just the way it works when you follow Jesus. That's just the way it is. When we accept that invitation, is, is he begins to create a new creation in us. For some of you, it may have happened overnight. You notice that difference almost immediately from when you prayed that prayer. To make by the time you even stood up, you just knew there was something different. And God radically changed you. For some of you, you know what, you've been walking through this, this path is very similar to how I have. You may have been raised in church and, and you, you finally surrendered to the Lord. And over time, he's been slowly shaping you. But that invitation is not just an invitation to follow him. It's also a, an understanding that there will be change. There will be sacrifice on our part. Uh, flip over with me to uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Uh, it'll be on the screen uh, if you want to just look at it there. But Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 reminds us that there is a cost to follow Him. And Jesus had just 
just before this, he had, he had told them about his death, and, and he's, he's done that in multiple times in the, in the Gospels, and uh, most of the writers of the Gospels give us accounts of Jesus reminding the disciples, hey, at some point in time, this is what's going to happen to me. Well, then he walks into verse 24 here in Matthew chapter 16, and he says this, And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone is going to accept the invitation that I extend to them, if anyone is going to fulfill the command to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's a cost to accepting this calling. But the reward is that we get to find life. See, there is a cost to following Christ. But the rewards far outweigh what it is that we are called to give up. The cost may seem steep, but the reward is a new identity in Him. A new identity in Him. And so being called to go, not only does it start with an invitation, being called to go should become your identity. That's the difference in the disciples and those who just pray a prayer. That's the difference in the disciples. And unfortunately, a lot of folks that, that sit in churches today to check off a list, to check that box. The difference is the disciples took on a new identity. They were no longer just fishermen. They were fishers of men. They were no longer just just ordinary folks, they were followers of Jesus. They accepted that invitation and something changed inside of them. And that's the same thing that has to happen to us is that we've got to go from accepting an invitation to changing our identity to his child. And I think that's where a lot of us lose that momentum. We like the idea of the invitation. We want to be invited to the party whether or not we go or not. I don't know how many of you have children or grandchildren in elementary school, but, but over the past several years, you've seen this trend where the, the teachers will tell you, hey, if you're going to send an invitation to school uh, for a birthday party or whatever it is it may be, this is how many students we have in the class. We'd like for you to send one to everybody. Why? Not because you want everybody at that party, but because they want everybody to be included. Because they don't want that one kid who, who doesn't get that invitation. That one kid that's sitting there, and after everything's been handed out, he's sitting there and going, I, I guess I don't know anything about that stuff. I didn't know anything about a birthday party. I didn't know anything about an event. I wasn't invited to that. So the school system is going to this place where they try to protect that disappointment. And there's some of y'all here that would say, you know what, Josh? I don't want to have to have the invitation because I don't even like get social gatherings. I don't like big crowds. I don't like to, to be a part of those things. So I am okay at this point not getting that invitation. Until it really gets handed out and you find out, hey, everybody went to the pastor's house and I wasn't invited. Because at some point in time I told him, you know what, I don't need that invitation, I'm good. 
And then you get upset because you're the only person out of 180 people that didn't get invited to the party. We like the invitation. We're, we're excited about the fact that somebody would consider us enough to even say, hey, I'm going to extend the invitation to you. Whether you show up or not, you're getting the invitation. But for many that proclaim Christ, that's where it stops. They don't take it that step further and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go with that invitation and I'm going to allow that invitation. I'm going to accept it and I'm going to go to this thing and I'm going to allow it to change me. I'm going to allow it to shape the identity that I have. The thing is, we do have to weigh the cost. And we may struggle with the decision to truly follow him. And I told you earlier, the disciples didn't get it right every time. There were times that they struggled with that decision. There were people who followed Jesus himself. We're, we're talking about uh, accepting an invitation to be a part of God's family. There were people who literally saw Jesus doing miracles that said, Hey, you know what? That costs too much. I got other things I need to do. Turn over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and this gives us a story. I'm going to give you the rundown because I'm not going to read all 70 verses of it for you. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, I'm going to give you the rundown that leads us into the end of the chapter there that shows us the devotion that the disciples had in this moment. We find a picture here in John chapter 6 of, uh, of what it takes to go from struggling with the cost to being completely bought in. The scene is, at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000. An incredible miracle. He had a boy's lunch and he fed over 5,000 people. Most uh, accounts will tell you it was actually over 10,000 because it was uh, apparently 5,000 men. And then you had the women and children that would have come with them as well. So thousands of people were fed with a boy's lunch. And then you go from feeding the 5,000 to after that event, he walks on water to his disciples. Now, I don't know if there was anybody on the shoreline uh, that, that was watching the disciples out in the boat to try and figure out where they're going. I don't know how many people are tracking Jesus like uh, the children do Santa Claus on Christmas Eve night. I don't know what it is that they had here. But they were watching him. They're following him. He just fed them all. He walks on water. Some believe to, to, just to get to the other side because he sent his disciples on ahead. But it happened that they saw him. And so he had an interaction with his disciples there. Then they get all the way uh, to, to the shore there. And then the people have the audacity to ask for a sign that he is who he says he is. He said, did y'all not listen to me pray over that food yesterday? And every one of y'all were full. And then we had 12 baskets left over. And you're going to sit there and ask me for a sign because Moses gave signs. That it, was, that it was God that was speaking through him. So the people here said, hey, we need to see a sign from you. And at the end of chapter 6, when... What he had done was not enough already. Here's what we find in verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew 
and we're not walking with him anymore. Now, we don't believe that that was any of the 12. We believe that Jesus had gathered a large following and they were considered his disciples because they were hearing all the words that he taught. They were seeing all the miracles. They were telling people about all these things that this man was doing. But as a result of this, when he didn't give them the sign that they wanted, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. But look at the question that Jesus asked in verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? He said, hey, do y'all want to give up? Are y'all ready to go too? Are you done because I'm not giving you the signs that you're requesting from me? I can simply point you to all the things that God's already done. Or do you want to pack up and go home too? This is how we know that at least Peter was bought in in this moment. Look what he says in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Young man who was called while him and his brother were fishing had come to understand because of what he had seen Jesus do that there was nowhere else that he would rather be. See, being a follower of Christ became his identity. He used to be known as a, as a fisherman. And any portrayal you see of Peter, he's pretty brash. I mean, he's just, he, he's bold, he's out there. I mean, he's, it, it's almost like if, if you wanted somebody in the disciples to fight, you're just going to tick him off a little bit and you're going to get to throw down because that's how Peter was. It's what the feeling that you get as you read through Scripture. He's rough around the edges. There's, there's nothing calm about him. And Jesus said, y'all want to go somewhere too? Do y'all want to leave like the rest of them? And Peter looked and said, well, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter was bought in. So no matter what happened in life, even if the crowd would thin from hundreds, possibly even thousands, to the teens, he said, Lord, where would we go? You're everything. And I read through that question and I asked myself the same question as I'm going to ask y'all. Is that how you describe Jesus in your life? When things get hard, and some of y'all are like, Josh, you've, you've seen some of, the, some of the hard parts I've had in my life just in this past year. Some of you have heard the stories of the hard that you've walked through. But when things get rough, when you don't get the answers that you want, when, when God doesn't show up how you expect Him to show up, how would you answer that question? Do you want to go too? Would you look just as Peter did and say, Lord, where else would I go? You're my everything. 
You have the words of eternal life. I don't know where else to find that, so I'm sticking with you no matter what it is that I'm going to walk through. My identity is in you. I am no longer a fisherman. I am a follower of Jesus. I am no longer this plant worker or this office personnel or this whatever it may be. I'm not just a student. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a farmer. I'm not just a husband or a wife or a child. I'm not a grandparent or any of those things. No, I am a follower of Jesus first and foremost. So, Lord, no matter what happens in all of this, where else could I go? They had bought in. In just a short time, they had bought in to what they had seen Jesus do. I'm going to challenge you to stick around long enough to see what Jesus can do. Some of y'all have been here for a long time and you say, Josh, I know what Jesus can do because I've seen it. I've seen his hand, even in the past few years. I've seen him walk us through a worldwide pandemic. I've seen him walk us through hard times. I've seen him do things that can only be explained by that must have been God. And some of you sit here this morning saying, that is my battle cry. Lord, I don't have anywhere else to go, so I'm holding on to the hem of your garment, trusting that you're going to do But this morning, the reality of it is, with this many folks in this room, there are some of you that are looking and going, hey, if this gets hard, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting that door wide open. If things get any worse, I, I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know what else I can do. I, I'm, I'm going to be done with this. Because I'm tired of praying that same prayer. I'm tired of laying everything down there yet again, only to have no answers. I'm tired of not being heard. I'm tired of not being seen. I'm tired of not getting some kind of results for God to look and say, hey, I'm still here. I'm tired of wandering around in the wilderness. But Peter looked after this hard lesson and, Lord, Lord, where else would we go? I don't have any other options. Jesus, you're all I got. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted to hear. That's exactly what Jesus wanted from his followers 2,000 years ago. Newsflash, you know what he wants from his followers today? The exact same thing. Jesus, you're all I have. So I'm going to follow you wherever it is you want me to go. Jesus, you are my all. You are everything. So I will follow you. That's what he's looking for. Peter said, where else could we go? Verse 69 says, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They understood. He said, Jesus, we believe that you are who you say you are. And because of that, where else could we go? We're following you as our Lord and Savior. He began to see that following Jesus was not about what he had to give up, but about what he would gain and who he would become as a result of, sep- of accepting that invitation. Peter saw it more than just a weekly worship service. 
He saw it more than just a little bit of quiet time in the mornings. He saw it more than just a cute bumper sticker or a nice t-shirt or a necklace or whatever it is that you use to identify. He saw it as a lifestyle. He saw it as his identity. Where else can I go, Lord? I firmly believe God is waiting on the church to say that. Lord, where else can we go? This is all we have. We're following you because we don't know what else to do. But I want to encourage you this morning that if you're not in that place, uh, Peter didn't always stay in that place. If you're familiar with Peter's story at all, you know that Peter goes from this statement right here. And Peter's got some good statements. Man, he was. He was bold. He's like, yes, Lord, I'm 100%. I'll fight for you. I'll die for you. Until somebody asks me if I belong to you while you're arrested. Until somebody confronts me in, in, in a hard moment in life where, where I don't feel safe anymore, where I don't feel like things are, are going in the right direction, where, where I can't reach out and touch you. Because Peter was solid with Jesus when he could stand next to him. Extremely solid. I mean, you, you could have viewed Peter almost as a bouncer. You weren't getting to Jesus without going through Peter because he was there. And he'd fight you if you tried. Until Jesus got arrested. And then Peter stood out there in the courtyard. And Jesus is on trial and all of that's kind of sketchy anyways. They don't really know what's going on. Even though Jesus already told them. He said this is going to happen. And then Peter gets approached by a few people. They say, hey, you're one of them, aren't you? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not me. That's not my identity. You look just like those guys. You even talk like them. You must be one of them. No, uh-uh. Never heard of them. Who? Jesus? I, I don't know that one. Three times he'd deny him. Then he would spend his time wallowing in that shame till Jesus rose again and he appeared to them to all of them in one of my favorite passages in scripture at the end of John's gospel John chapter 21 we find Peter get a second chance to reclaim his identity that he once so boldly had for Jesus. He had a chance to do something there. But if you read the words, he still is not completely 100%. But he's getting there. Because there's still some things that he's got to learn. This John chapter 21, it's, it's breakfast on the beach with Jesus. He had gone back to what he knew. He took his old identity back. He said, I'm going back to fishing because I don't know what else to do. That's what I always did to get away. It's what I find comfort in. And Jesus isn't here anymore. And he's, he's kind of going back and forth. And, and we've seen him. He said, so I, I'm just going to go fishing because I don't know what else to do. And then they find Jesus on, on the beach cooking breakfast. Got the fire going. So they come in, and there's a conversation with him and Jesus. And he asked him, he said, Peter, do you love me? 
did it three times, and Peter answered those. But the part that I want you to see starts in verse 19. But to give you the context for what 19 says, verse 18 says, Hey, Peter, this is how you're going to lose your life from me. You're telling me that you love me. You're telling me that you're going to go and do the things that it is. And, and Peter was given how he would lose his life. No doubt that that was probably not an, a, a comfortable conversation for him. But he, him and Jesus, after, after those words from Jesus, verse 19 says this. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. He said, come on, Peter. Let's go for a walk. I wonder if that took Peter back three years before when he was in that boat. Now, once again, he's by the water. And those same words, follow me, ring once again. He's given him that same invitation that he gave him once before. And he said, follow me. Peter had already proclaimed his love for him. Peter was already saying, hey, you know what, Lord, I am. I'm going to follow you. But Peter's still struggling. Look at verse 20. Peter turned around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. We believe that is John, who wrote this gospel. But he saw the, the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who, had also, who also had leaned back on uh, his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So I get this picture in my mind. Peter and Jesus walk down the beach. He looks back and he sees John back there. Peter's just been told how he was going to die. And he said, verse 21, so Peter seeing him said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Lord, what are you going to require for him to follow you? You've just told me the cost that it's going to take for me to follow you, which is going to lead to my death. I'm going to glorify God through the way that I live my life, but then also how I lose my life. He said, and if you don't mind me asking, what about him? Lord, what are you calling him to do? And the problem is, there's so many of us that get caught looking around saying, well, God, if you want me to give up that, what are you asking them to do? God, if you're asking me to give up some of my resources, what about them? They've got more resources than I do. God, what about them? What about the, uh, this family over here? What are you going to ask them to do? Lord, what about this guy over here? He's been here a really long time. What are you asking him to do? Lord, what are, you, what are you going to ask the staff to do? And I hear you calling me, asking me to do this. Lord, what are you going to ask the staff to do? What about the deacons? What are you going to make them do? What about those uh, uh, connect group leaders? What are you going to ask them to do? What about the volunteers in the nursery or those that sing on stage or those that, that help behind the scenes? Lord, I know you're calling me to do something, but I want to make sure that mine doesn't cost any more than anybody else's. I'm shopping for a bargain here, God. You know I like a good sale. If it's not 50% off, I'm not getting it, Lord. You know that. 
I put all that into a comical context to help you understand that that's what Peter's doing here. He's saying, what about John, Lord? What are you going to ask him to do? Look at, look at Jesus' response. I, I love this. Verse 22, it says, Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. He said, what does it matter what I ask somebody else to do? What does it matter what I ask the church down the road to do? What does it matter what I ask uh, the, uh, some other pastor what to do? What does it matter what I ask some other business person what to do? What does it matter what I ask that person sitting next to you in the pew to do? What does it matter what I'm calling them to? That's between me and them. You follow me. He said, I'm calling you to follow me. One of the lessons that, that we try to ingrain in our children is the idea that you can only control the actions of one person. And that's yourself. And y'all know as good as I do that sometimes it's hard to control those actions. We can't control what other people are going to do. You can't control whether somebody else is going to accept the cost to follow Jesus. You can't control what somebody else is going to do with their relationship with God or that invitation, whether they accept it or not. That's not your worry. Your worry is what are you going to do with it? What are you doing with that invitation that he's extended to you? And if you've already accepted it, what are you doing? Are you allowing him to become your identity like he was asking Peter here he said, what does it matter? If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Amen. This morning, church, God's asking us if we're willing to allow him to become our identity. I don't know all the things that are said about Highland Baptist Church outside these walls. I probably don't want to. But our job is to change that mindset and become known as followers of Christ. Because that's all he's asked us to do. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, Josh, you know what, I'd, I'm just not called to go. That's, that's not what it is. Uh, I, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have that, that talent. I don't have that ability. I don't have those resources, Josh. I, I don't have what it takes to do anything great for God. I can't go out and change the world. Maybe he's not asking you to change the world for everybody. Maybe he's just asking you to reach that one person. And change their world. Change their identity. Change what it is that they're holding on to. I do know that this morning he is asking us if we're willing to allow him to become our identity. Don't get confused. This morning we're all called to go. We're all called because he extends that invitation to each and every one of us. And that's what call is. It's an invitation to something. That's it. So this morning, if you don't have a relationship with him, maybe today is the day he's extending that invitation to you. 
And I'm asking you to come. Maybe you have accepted that invitation. But you're a little bit like Peter here. And you're going back and forth on some of the things that you're struggling with. And you're looking and going, God, I, I don't know that I can fully surrender until I figure out what it is you're wanting everybody else to do. Can we draw straws for the jobs? Can we, can we do something different? Do we get to pick? Do we get a list of options of what it looks like to follow you? Unfortunately, you don't. You simply get the invitation to follow me. That's what Christ is telling us today. So have you accepted that invitation? And if you have, are you still living your life following Him? Is that what is defining you today? Only you can answer that question. But God wants to meet with you. So here in just a moment, we'll open up this altar and give you the opportunity to do business with Him. Because it doesn't matter what He's called me to. Not for you, it doesn't. It doesn't matter what He's called these students to, unless you're one of them. It doesn't matter what he called the person next to you to do. It simply matters what he's called you to do. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? If not, let's make that change today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for your word and the truth that is hidden in it. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you see fit to call us to go and be your people to be salt and light in a world that so desperately needs it, Lord, uh, to, to be able to go and share our story for your glory. Lord, we're called to make disciples. So, Lord, we thank you that you would use us despite our faults and failures. But, Lord, we also know there's work to be done. There's change that needs to happen. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would use this time to step out on faith and accept that invitation that you're extending towards them. And Lord, for those that do know you, Lord, I pray that they would continue daily to accept that invitation to follow you to the purpose that you created them for. God, we give you this time to respond to your word and your truth. And we give you the glory for it all. In your holy name I pray.